0: Hey, this is a Hakawati production. My guest today is the founder of Plutus Capital Advisory in London. He's also behind a collection of unique experiential hotels called Art House, including properties in Berkshire, England, Negev, Switzerland, Havana, Cuba, and now Beirut, Lebanon, where he and his wife Zoe recently relocated. Yep, that's right. A wealthy hotelier who has lived in some of the world's most beautiful places Now chooses to live in Beirut, a city that many now see as a hopeless case. But let's recap. In case you missed it, Lebanon's been a little crazy lately, to say the least. First, the corrupt government here was forced out following months of massive demonstrations beginning in October 2019. And that government, while it was in power, was so busy, it seems, finding ways to profit from day to day activities and controlling the mafia-style water and electricity businesses while its citizens lived without basic human rights, that they completely ignored state employees who warned them multiple times that there were dangerous stockpiles of explosive material at the port of Beirut. And this blatant neglect, as we all know, resulted in one of the most powerful non-nuclear blasts in the history of the world. Over the next few months, There have been at least four mysterious assassinations, which included a military photographer, two army colonels, and the head of an ethics and fraud committee at Biblos Bank, one of the largest banks in Lebanon. One of these people was shot to death in broad daylight, and the others killed by a blow to the head. Let's not forget, this is a massive criminal case that has yet to be resolved, and those responsible need to be tried in a court of law. But there's a lot more to this story, and to this case, than meets the eye. The Central Bank of Lebanon, overseen by Riyad Salami, has been the gatekeeper for a financial system constructed of Ponzi schemes by the political class. They've now run their course, mostly at the expense of the population who kept their life savings in the country's banks, unlike the political elite, who took their millions out of the country just in the nick of time. The currency in Lebanon has been pegged to the U.S. dollar since 1997. But it has now lost most of its value and at least 70% of the population now lives way below the poverty line. Most people here can no longer access their money in the bank. A mobile phone that used to cost $1,000 now costs the equivalent of around $8,000 based on the currency exchange rate from just over a year ago the rate at which most salaries are still being paid. So why would an investment banker want to not only live in this failed country, but also do business here? Why would he choose to do that? I don't know. Is it the amazing sunshine? The tabbouleh? I could go on guessing, but I'll let him do the rest of the talking today. Joining me in catastrophic and beautiful Lebanon, please welcome Nabil Debis. Hi, Nabil. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hi, Nadia. Thank you for inviting me.
0: From an investment banker's perspective, what are your thoughts on this financial crisis in Lebanon?
1: It is a financial crisis. It's not an economical crisis. I mean, yes, one drags the other, but... Uh, the economy was strong uh, before we get the, the liquidity issues the country is rich in assets it's it's very wealthy in assets because you know they've never privatized i mean the electricity the water the, uh, um, uh, the you know the licenses for the mobile phones uh, uh, it can be it can turn around very very quickly the financial crisis started not last year it started a long time ago uh, for example when we wanted to do our projects here, liquidity has always been an issue. You know, with the best credit in the world, with the best liquidity outside of the country, trying to borrow money here is first what's very very expensive. But also, all the liquidity was pumped up by the uh, by the system, uh, by the central bank selling you know bonds at very high levels in order to uh, high yields, in order to uh, you know to refinance itself, and also to finance. Uh, totally uh corrupt and inefficient system political system and uh so that is the key it's more of for me it's a more of a political uh, structural uh, problem than it is an economical one so uh should should the liquidity come back you can have a very quick turnaround you know very, very extremely fast turnaround because life is very cheap uh for anybody a foreigner uh to Lebanon, who comes to live here, uh, you find that things are cheap. They're probably fifty percent uh, cheaper than than elsewhere. It happens everywhere. You have those mega inflation. You know, you go to you where know, had you been to Greece in in two thousand and I don't know when it was. It
0: two
1: thousand ten. Uh, you would find it very cheap. You know, real estate was cheap. Life was 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 uh, cheap, except for the people who lived there because you know they they starving. They were starving. But any country in the world where you reach that point. Uh, you know the you you devalue you call the imf you borrow money you restructure and and you know and two or three four years down the line your economy has been cleaned out and, and things go back
0: actually in in uh, greece it took 10 years
1: Ten years to go back to yes and <laughs> not totally out of the wood but but here's it's it's different because there is no absolutely no effort to to restructure i mean it's blocked it's the system stops it it, it blocks it i mean uh, i'm not saying to go back to to the way it was in the in the you know in the early uh, 2000s but uh, to go back to a normal which was maybe three years ago but if you put money in the system here uh, tourism first is very very cheap if you have a pizza in london it would cost, cost you as much as this fantastic three-course meal here with great quality products it is cheap. It used to be expensive uh, because it's a small country. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of money around. There used to be a lot of money around. So prices were already quite high. But now you're at a fraction of that, You you maybe uh, 20 cents on the dollar to, to where it used to be. So for tourism, it is cheap. It's very attractive to come here. The other question is, okay, uh, so from a financial point of view, uh, it can get back to life if there's a political solution or a political understanding or restructuring. You know, we had a revolution trying to get rid of the of the old system. Uh, that's still latent. It's not that it's it's going to happen. But there is also a risk that uh, because Of what we said before, the country being wealthy in terms of infrastructure, not infrastructure, in terms of of assets, in terms of national assets, uh, electricity, uh, phones, uh, licenses, all that. uh, The day you are forced to sell them, because there is a corrupt system in place, you can find yourself, like in Russia, uh, where uh, people bought the state assets for nothing. And uh, guess who is going? To, who has the money to do that? It's the politicians who have been, you know, stealing f- of uh, the pockets of, of the economy for, for years. And so uh, the risk is that they, using the money, the stolen money, they would buy those assets at a low price, of course, because uh, it would be valued at, you know, at 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 uh, at a breakage uh, uh, value. And we off the country even more. So it's good that we have the assets. It's good that there's no intention yet to sell it or to liquefy it. To privatize it because privatization today is probably the worst thing that could happen because it would be at at you know we to be at 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 uh, totally uh, low prices and uh, it would reinforce the the corrupt system. So what we need really is a political solution, is uh, a political restructuring, and all the rest will follow.
0: Do you mean restructuring or? complete makeover including changing all the parts
1: it's changing all the parts but it cannot happen overnight it's not you know it's, it's there's no immediate solution uh we probably need a new understanding we need to have uh, uh, you know the key uh, the key is the parliament there will be elections in a year and a half or two years uh, if there is a strong enough opposition uh, or a new, if you like, independent uh, movement outside of the political parties, who can uh, at least try to get elected and get a blocking majority or get any sort of strong minority. Uh, at least we would be. on um, It would be the start of of changing things around. Uh, you know, it's not a question of just changing a government. Or it's it's the whole. Uh, everything goes through parliament. All the laws are voted through parliaments. Things are changed at the parliament level. It's a parliamentary system. Uh, so that is the key, really, is to get little by little, uh, gaining uh, control of of the future of of the of the laws. And from there, you can restructure. From there, you can change things. It will take time.
0: There will be no incentive to do that, though. If 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 you you propose or suggest that if there was an influx of money. That the uh, the financial crisis could turn around quite quickly. So if that were to happen by miracle, which is not happening currently, because uh, Riyad Salame is not handing over the d- documents that were requested, presumably because that would be the damnation of those very people that we're talking about—the pieces, the parts. <laughs> um, if that were to happen, then there would be no incentive for the parts to be changed or for, exactly. uh,
1: for I mean the. The worst yeah, exactly. The worst thing is if the money came comes first. The money has to come last. Yeah. Because, or it has to come with an understanding with a change with, with the restructuring it has to be conditional it has to come with a, a a change of the system with accountability with you know if money comes now it will only benefit the politicians and give them another sort of you know a few years of life and, yeah. and that is in a way it's 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 a thing that could happen we need a longer term solution we need a, an infrastructural change I mean it doesn't matter which politician which kind of line of, of politics is in line what matters is really the uh, governance and and to have a system in place that is strong enough to be able to reduce uh, corruption it the corruption never disappears it exists at every level everywhere all over the world but to reduce it and to sort of to make it uh, um, the more uh, to make the funds available more palatable and more more sort of you know, available to the to the to the investors and to the business people No, absolutely no money goes into business. Everything goes into banks and real estate and they feed each other. So the government has been previous governments for the last 20 years been made by real estate developers, banks and and politicians. And they're usually the same people. So there is no real economy.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to think about and to think about where that money would go instead and how that would affect the real estate, because we know we have like an over supply of real estate also currently in the country. but. Um, I like this plan that we're kind of hatching, or, or I like your ideas about it. It's quite uh, organized and it makes sense. I guess the first thing that needs to happen, as you mentioned, is to have this kind of organized opposition, which is what has been lacking. There's, al- They're always very fragmented. So this is really what needs to happen, an organized opposition that um, has a, a common purpose, which should be you know the country
1: no the, the worst thing is that you don't have nobody has a program i mean it's you know you look around as much as you read there is nobody comes with a program you need a shadow government you need people in the opposition to, talking at least to say okay this uh, i i wouldn't do this i would do that and come out with a program come out with ideas and then you can criticize you know said like okay let's maybe had you done this and that it this would never happened so uh, there need to be proposals there need to be uh, uh, people talking to each other there need to be real sort of uh, uh, communication with the existing politicians you know they need to to turn around and and they i mean they're going to disappear it's a question of time but uh, if new people want to come in place they need to have um, Something to offer, and for the time being, all you hear is you know calling people thieves and, and, and theft and scandals. Yes, it's necessary to do that, but you also need to have a program. You need to show. You need to. What does the IMF want? What? How can the IMF help? People are very willing to help. People love Lebanon. You know, they, they, they We're close. We're close to Europe. We're close to 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 the world. We uh, Lebanese people everywhere. The diaspora is huge, uh, but there is no trust and. And rightfully so, because there is nobody to trust here. So I think that's why we need to to start getting organized internally and uh, get programs, get people to come,
0: yeah. come forward. And I think part of this agreement and this new plan has to also include uh, some kind of uh, follow up on on the Beirut explosion. I think that should be part of the solution, and it might, in fact, yes. be part of the key to um, how can I put it. It might be the key to kind of uh, t- weeding out the bad seeds in the current government because yeah, yeah. um I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's,
1: it's a it's a sinking ship. when are trying to put our holes in the, our fingers in the holes, but you know the holes are getting bigger and bigger and. Uh,
0: are you hopeful, though?
1: Yeah, I'm always hopeful. I mean, I'm by nature. I'm, uh, uh, I think it would. It. I mean, I really believe in the people here. I believe in the in the diaspora, I believe in people who are educated. They travel in a way. You know, it's not a bad thing. I mean, when people think, they say okay, all the young people are leaving the country, which is great. I mean, they have to. It's it's it's. You know, you cannot be ambitious and stay in a economical crisis where you are kind of surrounded by by negativity and, and the port exposure and thing. It's it's you know it's uh, it's turned into kind of a retirement country for people who, who you know for people of middle aged people who want to have a great quality of life and But there's nothing for the young. So it's great that the youngs get out. They get the experience. They get slapped around, you know, and they come back here with education, with ideas, with with funds. And but they need to have an infrastructure. And I think I'm really hopeful that in a few years we will be in a position uh, where you know we have the capacity we have the technology we have you know it doesn't take much i mean why why do the young people have to leave why do the doctors we have you know a fantastic medical system before the the uh, the crisis uh, there was uh, medical tourism was one of the uh, you know one of it was a destination for for for, uh, for a lot of people to come for would it be for uh, uh, plastic surgery or for i mean you know they the uh, it's 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 a great country, It's a huge potential, and uh, that's why I'm, I'm hopeful for for the future. If you like, uh, uh, from that sense, I mean, the political differences will always be here. You'll always have uh, people thinking differently. It's part of the the the, the charm of the place is that you have such a post system. You have people in wearing miniskirts, and you have people wearing, uh, uh, you know, covered, uh, and will always be like that.
0: So you have four hotels around the world, right? And why don't you tell everyone, first off, what the art house concept is all about?
1: Okay, the concept is um, is really art-centric. So the idea, uh, when we started, is to create a cultural roundtable where uh, people can come, exhibit visual art, uh, show, talk, uh, debates... Uh, talk about their passion the uh, concept is a non-profit so the 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 art part is a non-profit and around that to to give a mood for, for hotel for lounge uh concept where you have rooms restaurant bars mixology um, anything that is you know that is uh, socially agreeable and where we would benefit from from meeting it's a meeting place as such so the idea was that we have—I mean, uh, Zoe and I, my wife—we have, we're very lucky. We we found uh, we were lucky in finding places, amazing places, uh, uh, and uh, turning them into places where we lived or we spend a lot of time. So where we have our own network of of, uh, of friends, of uh, people who share the same values, same ideas and uh, from there uh, also we collect art the houses where we lived we usually uh, have our art pieces and the idea was what do we do with it and uh, the idea of creating hotels came first in the UK in Maidenhead where we have uh, Victorian uh, folly by the river a very beautiful house Uh, when we Decided, we thought about selling it. We have there's a village called Bray next to it, It's a culinary village where you have two three-star Michelin's, very famous uh, one-star pubs, and those guys, when they knew we want to sell, say no. You know, we have clients coming from London, 40 minutes away. They don't want to go back. We usually send them to the Holiday Inn. Why don't you do? It's a beautiful house. Turn it into a hotel, and we'll help you. And that's how we started. So uh, they helped us with. Uh, uh, you know, with anything from bed linen to breakfast, to uh, uh, and that was amazing. So that was in 2015, and uh, that was a trial. Uh, following that we moved to uh, we moved to uh, renovating we had renovated our house uh, beautiful uh, house family house in Beirut and it had a few houses surrounding it so also part of the the uh, you know what, what we had and uh, it turned into a social project in a way where because you know in Beirut there is no uh, social um, housing uh, program so the usually social housing is on the on the landowner. So, on the private individual. So, the idea was to relocate those people and make sure they were happy to to move out and, and to go to places, not to, just a question of, of giving them money because they, you know, they didn't know what to do and maybe they would spend it wrongly, but to help them acquire uh, their own space. And uh, and there were maybe 12 or, or 13 families that we had to, to you know, one by one, on the other hand, show around. And make sure that they were happy to move out, which, which happened. We also had the Red Cross who you know were happy to get the donation and, and, and move out. So the idea was that, okay, we have this prime, old, beautiful properties and it was worth the, the investment and uh, putting it back together. It was also great fun because it's uh, it's it's allowed us to be creative. We, you know, we love space. It gives us, for me, at, at this stage of my life, it gave me the idea that, you know, it, it was like a blank uh, uh, of volumes where you had to reuse the volume and turn them into the way we wanted to live, uh, not the way an architect would want you to, to, to live. This this was our very, very personal, the way we did it. And that was probably the best few years of my life trying to uh, go around uh, you know recuperation shops uh, completing uh, uh, getting the old furniture uh, refurnishing it so uh, solving problems and uh, and that was how it all started so the concept moved from from you know art exhibition and talks and and you know the concept of the 19th century uh, salons in, in France where people come and debate and and artists come and and you know they argue with each others
0: so can you describe Art House Beirut so that people can kind of create a mental image of what it looks like you kind of did but i it's i mean it's really a unique space it's the entrance is in an alley off one of the main streets Jamaise, uh, which is a very vibrant area nowadays it's kind of recuperating after the explosion but it's come back to life uh, I would say to some degree, and your entrance is in an alley, and and when you enter the gates, it's kind of like you're entering another world. Can you just describe it briefly, like architecturally?
1: Yes, I mean the the uh, the Gemese is is one of the, if not the most interesting areas in Beirut because uh, it's part of the old Beirut. It's part of the Roman Beirut. I mean the Greek gates were were like a few hundred yards away, you know, where Paul is, and uh, when we came in 2010, it was already, you know, it had boomed, it had bars, it had, you know, it it was gone too far, you know, it had karaoke bars, you know, how, how it becomes. But then, as everywhere, real estate becomes ex- more expensive and rents become more expensive. So they moved out of the way a bit further to what Mar Michael were, the, the uh, uh, closer to the port. And so uh, when you arrive to Art House, you come into uh, something that's very typical, that is low-built, uh, beautiful 19th century houses. And Art House is a collection of houses. So it's, it's actually, three it's really five buildings. Out of the five buildings, we're using four of them. Uh, there is a garden surrounding it. Our neighbors mm-hmm. have kept their houses, so it's been protected in a way by by, by themselves, by the by the, the families who live there, mm-hmm. and they're not moving out, which is a great thing. So, uh, uh, which is a great advantage because in Beirut you have a lot of beautiful old houses, but then they built those kind of high rises next to it, and it kills it. So. Uh, it doesn't look like anything anymore Uh, while here it's totally airy so from 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 at least from three sides the main house is where we used to live. We built it. We turned it into sort of modern living uh, space using, of course, the uh, the volume that existed. So we didn't uh, alter the volume, uh, which was the main goal. Is to to keep the features, uh, keep the volumes, and from there, see adapted to to the way we live. We reused everything we could, and and uh, it turned out it was one of the most pleasant houses I lived in. Uh, that was really really wonderful. Uh, And there are three other houses uh, further back on the other side of the garden. And those were also are also part of the project. So we have they all linked from the from under the garden there are links underground and so the idea was to keep uh, peaceful uh, outside space and any movement would be the kitchen moving from one house to the other everything happened through the basement there's also an old well uh, so there's a well room that is a multi-purpose room that's underground with a a fantastic skylight Uh, so it's all it's a huge circulation it's very much low level which makes it of course very very unique in in its environment
0: yeah it has a great feeling the place has a great feeling Um, and your staff are so professional and friendly and you furnished it in such a cool way you're a collector of antiques and art and you and your wife i guess have a great eye so you've kept the character but it's still in a in a really cool way you've incorporated you know mid-century and um vintage pieces, colorful, beautiful, I love the place personally, mm. clearly um, yeah. so how how's tourism going? <laughs> how busy is the hotel been? You guys opened finally in November, yeah. yeah
1: that's right so just, just before I mean on what you said it's totally true and because the house the, the place was done as a house it's it's somewhere where where we live so all the elements are are, are are there for a house living so the collection we have it's been since I'm 14 I've been buying art and it's all in here uh, the furniture is vintage furniture either from, from before when my great-grandparents lived here and it's been added to you know in the 1950s and 60s so everything is genuine it's genuinely placed and and nothing is made to adjust to look uh, nice on a photo, it's, it's genuine peace. and you have that feeling, as you said, when you can't walk in. It is, it is a house. It's a lived-in place. Uh, to, <laughs> to go back to your question about tourism, look. If you ask me uh, about 18 months ago, uh, Beirut was a, still is a very sexy destination. People love to come here. Uh, it's totally out of the uh, kind of usual holiday destination, uh, holiday destination, because you have again there's a huge content in terms of archaeology, in terms of of people of designers and and it was really booming so we had a great interest from the foreign press we need to cater for people who come here usually ideally for us it's high net worth travelers or also the other profile is people who are more intellectual travelers so they come here for the history they come here to to uh, you know to it's not it's not it's not like going to Dubai or going somewhere where you have, or you know, the Bahamas, where you have a set kind of things to do, and, and that's it. Because it's it's a really a white canvas for any traveler who comes here. You can do whatever they want. But uh, what we thought, a lot of people come in the queues and they don't have that uh, connection so they rely on on you to tell them what to do so we said okay no we have to do something better than that so we have to create this uh, super uh, concierge service in a way if you like so before you come to be able to send you a question i say what are your areas of interest so uh, assuming if it is for example, archaeology, then we can say, okay, listen, we've got archaeologist friends, and they're very keen to show and to to help, and they're working on such and such sites. You can go and see the mosaics being kind of cleared, or, or, or this old kind of Second century church has been renovated. And so we can direct you towards your area of interest. If you want to see such or such designer, we call them up and set up a one-on-one. It might be, you know, war tourism where you can go and, and, and see sites where, where things happen or have happened or, or, or maybe talk to refugees in refugee camps to see the way they live. So there is a huge amount of uh, things to do. And if you come from if you're held by the hand and taken to where you want to be, uh, we sort of, you know, we use our network for that because we do live, uh, we're very active. We absolutely participate in every uh, kind of uh, activity that, that we curious people. And and if you are curious and you want to come to Lebanon, I mean, we can definitely help you and, and set up um, uh, your trip from A to Z.
0: That's, that's amazing. It sounds... Uh... It's like a concierge service on steroids, basically like so much more uh like inclusive than the average concierge service i mean uh, of war tourism um you know where where in the world else would you be able to do that not that it's a you know I'm smiling but it's not funny at yes. all it's kind of terrible <laughs> I mean, you have to be
1: it is i mean you have to be very careful because people you know it's not Uh, You know, it can be easily transformed into like going to a zoo to see. No, it's it's not that. It's it's it's. uh, We have to be very very careful in in what we do. But. Uh, people are genuinely happy to show the condition in which they live. And so we have to have this approach, you know, to, 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 uh, if you're visiting a refugee camp, you go with certain amount of, 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 uh, com- you, you're going with a certain amount of compassion and you're trying to see how can I, you know, what can I, ha- how can I help? What can I bring? And if you go with that in mind, uh, people are very open. There's amazing uh, musicians, uh, composers. There is, you know, they are also happy, uh, very happy things that one can do, while in Beirut, and and uh, that's what we're more famous for is for the the uh, you know non-stop. Uh, uh, social gatherings, parties, beach. Uh, the, uh, there was a f- an article where we, because we discussed with a friend the fact that you can ski in Beirut, and it's very true because you know we love uh, seals, uh, sealskin, randones uh, and and walking around mountains, and there's a huge amount to do this. So we also organize that. You know, we get you a guide. We can go ourselves with you. You know, it's it's it's, uh, it's that sort of image that. We would like to to export uh, yeah. for the for the foreign travelers.
0: Well, it's a country of contrasts. We know that there's uh, you know the most beautiful things in the world and the most horrifying things in the world ex- exist exactly. in this yeah. tiny piece yeah. of land yeah. uh, near the Mediterranean Sea. Um, but let me ask you this: and the
1: the people yeah. as well. You have the best and the worst people. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's, that's you true. Can see in Absolutely. The politics you can see. In, in, You're uh, right. And you know the funny the funny thing, Nada, is, is I thought that. The Brit- having lived in, in London for so long, that the British people were eccentric. Actually, they, they're very, very mild compared to the Lebanese because uh, you know how eccentricity is a totally different uh, takes a totally different meaning. People are extremely, extremely eccentric in, in their ways and the thing
0: that they do. In in Beirut, especially, yes, it's in a Beirut, whole other level. Yeah, yeah. A whole other level. And you're right. Yeah. And the, then there's so many wonderful The The average person that you encounter in this country is just outstandingly wonderful, you know? Like, I I hear even friends, Lebanese, who live abroad now, and every time they visit, they're just so happy when they meet, you know, a a taxi driver, an Uber driver, and they remark how always generous and gracious and often well-educated they are in the conversations. So I can see why... It's difficult, despite the horrible circumstances, it's a difficult place to leave because you don't find these things anywhere else in the world. But it's always wonderful to come across uh, people like you who are so passionate uh, about life and about the things that they're doing. And Beirut is lucky to have you, by the way. I hope you're planning on sticking around.
1: Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, (laughs) that's very kind of you. I'm not sure they want me, but... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, long, they should that, be so it, lo- They should yeah. count their lucky stars. <laughs>
1: uh, you know, it's uh, coming to Beirut was was a choice. Uh, uh, we were not sure, but we got totally, totally sort of absorbed here, and and, and it's one of those places uh, where you I'm happy to come back and I'm not always very happy to leave because I do travel a lot (laughs) but end of the day it became home I never lived here because of the war I was a kid I mean I'm Lebanese I was born here with the war we grew up in Paris and worked in London so it's the first time since 2010 where I lived for for, you know living in, in Lebanon
0: yeah, I feel the same way. Ditto. Ditto. I I don't. I like coming here and I don't like leaving. So, Nabil, it was really great uh, talking to you. Unfortunately, we have to end it here. Thank you so much and best of luck with all your projects.
1: Thanks and, and see you soon, hopefully.
0: That's it for now. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope it somehow helps keep the Port of Beirut explosion in the public conversation. Take care. See you again soon.